we'll turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 this morning. 2 Corinthians is a book of encouragement. It's a book of um, exhortation, which is just a word for strong encouragement. Um, There was a big section where he talked about basically trying to get the Corinthian church, who was of well means. They were not a poor church by any means. If you want to talk about a poor financially church, you would talk about the Philippians. The Philippians had very little, and yet they gave much like the widow gave her two mites when Jesus was talking to his disciples. They gave out of their poverty. They gave everything that they had. And so the Corinthian church had been blessed with very much, and money could be a stumbling block to them. And so Paul told them, hey, look, you said you wanted to help us with this need with the church in Jerusalem, so do it. It's just that simple. Don't just talk about it. Do it. That's what my pastor always says. When we hear a truth... um, and we, we go, man, that just resonates with me. I know that's something that the Lord would have me do. He said, great, now don't just talk about it, now go do it. You know? And so Paul was saying, hey, don't just talk about it, go do it. But then he kind of turns the corner in chapter 10 through 13, and he's going to address this faction, this uh, little group of people that was making a big fuss in the Corinthian church, and these are false apostles. These are people who come along to subvert the leadership of the church, and they try to pull people away in order to take them to their own group. And they come into every church that's teaching the word, and they, they want to draw people away from Jesus to their own system, whether it's legalism, um, whether it's uh, grace without any accountability. They want to draw people away from a simple faith of following Jesus. And so Paul addresses them, And then he defends his own apostleship. Now, if God's called you to do something, you don't need to defend yourself if someone says you're not. Does that make sense? If God's called you to do something, and someone comes along and says, hey, God didn't call you, you do not need to defend yourself. That's why Paul, when he starts this chapter, he'll talk about his defense for himself, which seems to contradict what I just said, but he calls it foolishness. He says, bear with me in a little folly. He says, I'm going to do something foolish here. He says it's foolish because in all reality, our identity is not bound up in what people think about us. Our identity is not bound up in what people think about us. It's not about our fears. Are we ruled by our fears or by our trust in the Lord? That's a good question for anybody. I I constantly, I'm being reminded, wow, you just made that decision because you're afraid of what so-and-so thinks. You just made that decision because you're afraid of what will happen if you didn't do that. You know? and, and we're ruled by what we worship. That's the reality. Paul did not worship people's opinions. He was not defending his apostleship, his calling to the people around him because he was insecure. He was defending the calling on his life because there were people who followed him. And because there was people who followed him, anybody who would come in and say, Paul's not really an apostle, might be shaken because their trust was in someone that they thought was following Jesus. And so Paul defends his apostleship. He does not defend himself. He defends the calling that God has placed on his life. And I want you to pay careful attention to how he defends himself. So in verse 1 through 15 of chapter 11, Paul declares the very fact of his apostleship. 
An apostle is just the word apostle means to be sent. Paul was a sent one. Now, there are people in different denominations that believe they have apostolic authority. But the only people who have apostolic authority are those who God has called and those who have been written down in Scripture, meaning that they have the ability to write Scriptures that we have in our canon of Scripture. They saw the resurrected Jesus, and they were commissioned by Jesus. And anything that they teach will line up with the Old Testament and the New Testament. If it's not, then it's purely not of God. It disagrees with the Word of God. And so these false apostles have come in to the Corinthian church, and Paul writes to the Corinthians because he goes, hey, um, I'm, I wouldn't even address this issue, guys, but it seems like if they come into you and they start speaking against or teaching another Jesus that doesn't line up with the Jesus of Scripture, I have a fear that you'll bear with it. You'll just put, it up, put up with it. You'll tolerate it. He says, I'm very afraid for you for this reason because you can be drawn away from the simple faith in Jesus that I taught you. So in chapter 11, verse 1 through 15, he declares his apostleship, but he starts by reading, I'm going to read the first four verses that we went over in last week. He says, Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and indeed you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband. In other words, I have prepared you to follow one husband. And he says that if you start following these other guys, then basically, in a way, it's kind of like harlotry. It's that serious. He says, For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. That means a pure, without blemish, you know, Having not been with someone else, I want to present you without blemish to Christ, but I fear. Now, Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind so that we can overcome in the day of adversity. So this isn't a fear that shakes Paul. It's a, um, it's a godly fear. It's a, it's a cautious fear. He's concerned for them. He has a burden that they will be drawn away from Jesus. And so this fear causes him to warn them. You ever been so afraid of something that for your kids or for someone you know that you, you can't help, you're compelled by love. You just, I want to warn you that this thing that you're doing, it's going to lead to destruction. It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the people around you. So Paul fears lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so their minds might be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. You see, some of these false teachers were actually trying to draw people away from what Paul was teaching was a gospel that you are saved by grace through faith, lest anyone would brag about it or boast about it. But these false apostles would come in and they would brag and they'd say, hey, Paul's got a little bit of it, but I've got more knowledge about this faith you need to do this, 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 and this. And we think, oh man, if I had a checklist, it would be so much easier to follow Jesus. I mean, who doesn't like a system? Now, I'm an engineer, so I like checklists. If I don't have a list, it won't get done. And we like that because it's something we can see. It's something we can taste. It's something we can feel. How do I know if I'm living a life that's pleasing to the Lord? Well, I checked all the boxes. I must be pleasing to the Lord, right? And the answer is not necessarily, because that's works. That's basing it on our own efforts. But what Paul says is we have this simplicity. 
We don't have to follow the law anymore and check all the boxes. We can simply come to God through faith in Jesus. We can be faithful to what he shows us. And as we do that, the beauty of it is, because we love him, we'll keep his commandments, and they won't be a burden to us. They won't. It won't be a list because in everything you'll do, you'll, the first thought in your mind won't be, what do I want to do? It'll be, what does the Lord want me to do in this? So there's a simplicity. And that word simplicity there, I wrote it down in my Bible, means a sincere and a pure devotion to Christ. Not to religion, not to a system, but a pure and simple, I like that, life's too complicated, I like pure, undefiled, and simple, it's, it's simple that we put our faith in Christ. Our devotion, what we devote ourselves to is pleasing the Lord. And if you want to please the Lord, he gives us everything in his word on how to do that. And then he says this, if he who comes, by the way, it doesn't say he who is sent. Paul says, if he who comes, he'll show up at your door. You won't have to invite him. These people will come in and they'll try to subvert the thing that I've taught you. They'll try to draw you away to another system. You won't have to call them in. They'll come on their own. It's like wolves showing up to a pack of sheep. They'll show up because they're hungry. They want something for themselves. He says, he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you, I'm afraid, will put up with it. You'll tolerate it under the name of grace. So then he, he's afraid they'll tolerate, so, tolerate it. So in this week's passage, he says, For I consider that I'm not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. Now, in the ESV, I think it is, the English Standard Version, right there it says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most super apostles. They called themselves super apostles. They ascribed to themselves a glorious title, most eminent, you know, like the most high reverend. You know, you, ha- you hear these titles and leaders in the church and you go, wow, that guy must really be something. I mean, lo- listen to his name. It takes like seconds to say it all. Man, this guy must be a real servant of the Lord. But do you know what the word minister means? It comes from a Greek word that me- that's um, it's diakonos, and I'm probably saying it wrong. But that word means deacon. Now, how many of you were raised or around organized church growing up in some way or another? When you saw deacons, what did you think of them? The word deacon means humble servant. Humble servant. It's like a bond slave. Someone who comes not to make their own thing known, not to have people serve them, but to serve them themselves. In Acts chapter 6, the first deacons came along and they were servants. Now, I was not, or I was not raised in, in, in traditional church. And so when I hear deacon, I remember my pastor's stories about how the deacons would spend time out back smoking cigarettes, they come in, and then they would tell everybody what to do, even the pastor. But God's word does not teach that. God's word taught that the, the deacons were brought in to meet some of the very practical needs, the service that had to happen in the church, so that the pastor could spend time in prayer and studying the word of God. So these servants, deacons, ministers, are not supposed to be those that come in with this great title and tell you what to do, but they come to serve. Jesus Christ, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, I think it says, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you follow Jesus and you follow his example, hopefully a servant of Jesus Christ will follow in his... A servant's not better than his master. So if we serve Jesus, we should be serving his people. That's the point. And so he says there, I consider that I am not at all inferior to these most eminent apostles. You might read into this a little bit and see a little bit of uh, Paul is using some sarcasm. This is not sarcasm to cut away at people's character. This is sarcasm to, point, to make a point. You know, I've heard it called, you know, sarcasm is not necessarily behooving of a Christian. Um, I've heard it called uh, using, uh, cutting away at someone's character under the guise of humor. That's what sarcasm can be. But Paul's using this in order to enlighten them. He says, I consider that I'm not at all inferior to these most eminent apostles. You know, you, you got, they come to you and tell you how great they are, but I'm not inferior to them, is what he's saying. Even though I am untrained in speech, and that's what they said about Paul, he's not a very eloquent speaker. He can't be an apostle. Does, does God look at the outward or does he look at the inward? He says, yet I am not inferior in knowledge, but we have been through thoroughly manifested among you in all things. In other words, you've seen what I preach and you've seen what I practice. Does it match up? And of course, most of them are going to go, well, you never took payment from us. Um, you served us. We never gave you anything in return. Uh, you kept serving us even though we basically didn't like you and we mouthed you. He said, you showed us the love of Jesus. Verse 7, he said, did I commit sin when I humbled myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? Was that a sin? Because these apostles, these false apostles came in and go, you know, if he was really a servant of God, he would take payment. And Paul said, was that a sin that I didn't take payment? And the answer is no. They might have not thought as high of them, but it wasn't a sin. He says, I robbed other churches. Now he's speaking tongue in cheek. He didn't really go to other churches and steal their collection plate. What he's saying is, in some ways, if you want to look at it that way, I robbed other churches taking wages from them so I could minister to you. Remember I talked about the Philippian church. He got finances from them to be able to continue going on, not so he could buy a Mercedes, but so he could have travel expenses, so he could have meals, so that he could be provided for. He said, I took wages from them so I could serve you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one for what I lacked. The brethren who came from Macedonia, which was up by Philippi, they supplied all of my lack. And he saw that as God's provision. I don't know about you guys, but people don't just go handing out money. Go, You know, I've got way too much money. Here you go. You know, God moved on their hearts and they saw Paul was serving the Lord they saw his testimony and they said, you know what, this is a worthy cause. Let's take some funds, set them aside, and give them to Paul so he can share the same gospel he's given to us. And that's what you and I are doing when we put money in the box back there. Some of it goes to take care of our really low overhead, and then the rest of it we like to use in order to give to other works that are going on. In Jerusalem, there's some things going on down here. The Arcadia Valley Ministerial Alliance that gives to poor, gives to people that don't have anything, provides for their needs when they're down in their luck so that they might see Jesus that is, can be the provider for their needs. Then we have the Parkland Pregnancy Resource Center. We give to them because they give free ultrasounds and free gifts to people that will come in. They share the gospel with these ladies who have 
found themselves in a place where they have gotten pregnant. And so rather than them living with the lifetime of perhaps uh, aborting this baby, they want them to show them that this is a life that God's given and he doesn't make mistakes. And then they help provide for those children so that as these people are there, going there for, to meet their practical needs, they'll see that they have a spiritual need for a savior. They show mercy. And then we also support the bridge in Bangkok where they are supporting church planting pastors all over Thailand, which has 2% less or less Christian population. So we're sharing the gospel out of our abundance and we take that money that we put in the box, it's a simple thing, and then it gets spread out just like the bread that was brought to Jesus and he broke it, he gave thanks, and he gave to all the people that had a practical need. And so in the same way, Paul's saying, my needs have been met according to the riches in Christ Jesus. God is my provider, and he uses his people. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to some of you, and so I will keep myself. I will keep doing that. This is how I do things, he says. Verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the region of, regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? Well, God knows that I do love you. He's speaking to them. They are in the region of Achaia. He's saying, no one's going to stop me from sharing the gospel. He says, I do love you. Verse 12, he says, but what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. He says, these men who have come in, these individuals that want to draw you away from a simple faith in Jesus, guess what? They don't plant churches. They come in after someone else does, and that's when they draw people away. They don't build up a flock. They come in and they just steal from the flock. You know, and many times, even Christian seminaries become full of these theologians that are teaching what it means, and they'll even, in some ways, not all of them, but in some ways, what they do is they'll say, you know, this is what's wrong with the Christian church. And they'll start pushing out the blame game. But what you'll find out is these are men and women who have never gone out and started churches. They've never pastored churches. They don't know what it takes to love on people when they're broken. They don't know what it looks like to, to give of yourself and to serve others at your own expense. And Paul says, I know what that's like. It costs me very much to be an apostle of God. It's not a life that's filled with luxury and me getting served all the time. It's a life of pouring myself out as Jesus pours into me so that others would experience the grace and the mercy that I have and they'd be given the opportunity to become disciples themselves. And so Paul, I love this because he's boasting, but his boast is all in how God has changed him. Because if you remember Paul... Paul didn't start this life as a servant of God. What did he start it as? A persecutor of God's people. So if anything Paul would boast about, it would be the fact that God in his mercy did not snuff him out the day he was killing Christians and, dis and even consenting to the death of Stephen, we see in the beginning of the book of Acts. So Paul knows that he's basically a pound puppy. You know, pound puppies, you see the pictures you know, they're sitting there, you know, and they found, and somebody, like, somebody give this, this, this puppy a home, and, and many times people aren't really interested because they, they want a new puppy. They don't want the broken puppy. But what, the, what Paul says is that I was a broken puppy. Jesus came and met me, and I bit him, and he said, why are you biting me? And that's when the Lord said, I want to use you 
for my purposes. I want to redeem your life. I want to change you. You don't have to be against me anymore, Paul. I want to use you. And so Paul, Saul is actually a name, though he was before he received the gospel. Saul meant mighty. You know, you think about the, the King Saul in the beginning of the, the Old Testament. The first king of Israel was Saul, and they picked him because he was tall. And so he was named after that. He was even from the same tribe, and his name was Saul, which meant mighty. But Paul actually means small. He, you know, John the Baptist, when he came on the scene, he was the forerunner for Jesus Christ. And he came preaching repentance and baptism. And one of the key marks of his ministry was, in order for Jesus to increase, I must decrease. I have to become less so that Jesus can become more. And Paul's basically saying the same thing. So in verse 12, he says, But what I do, I will also continue to do, that, may I, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Now we as believers are transformed by Jesus by the renewing of our minds. But these false apostles, he doesn't beat around the bush. He calls them what they are. He goes, they are not workers of the Lord. They do not serve our king. He says, they transform themselves into apostles of Christ. And he says this even. That now, if someone came into the church and started pointing out people that were false apostles and said this, people would get wrinkled. They'd be upset. He, said, he doesn't pull any punches. He says, and no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if those who serve Satan, his ministers, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. They're workers of iniquity. When Peter was walking with Jesus, and Jesus started to say, hey, you know, all these people have left now that I've told them that they must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And of course, Jesus was talking about the supper that he was going to institute before his death, right? He says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can have no part in me, right? And so as a result of that, all of the people that were following him, that were just following him because they wanted to get free food, they all left. They were like, this is too hard. This is weird. Sounds like cannibalism. And they left. And the disciples are standing there. And Jesus said, well, are you guys going to leave me too? Is this too hard for you? And Peter spoke up because that's what he does. And he said, no, Lord, we can't leave you. You have the words of eternal life. Where, where else can we go? He says, you've spoken rightly. And flesh and blood's not revealed this to you, Peter. But my Father who is in heaven has revealed this to you. And Peter's like, yeah, look at me. I hear from God. Who wouldn't like that? You know, he, he was pretty excited about himself. And right after that, Jesus said, the Son of Man is going to be given over to the hands of the wicked, and he's going to be put to death. And they were like, wait a minute. That's not what we signed on for. You know, we're going to stay with you, but you're not going to die. Like, you're going to set up your kingdom. We're going to be your servants. But, like, we'd like to sit at your right and left hand. Like, we're going to be exalted with you, right? And Jesus said, you know, get behind me, Satan. You don't know what you speak of. He called Peter, one of his closest disciples, he called him Satan. Why did he do that? Is it because he didn't like Peter? No, it was because he loved Peter enough to go, look, this idea that you have about my kingdom is not, that's an earthly idea. That is not a God's idea. That's not what my kingdom's going to look like. 
If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, deny his own ideas of what he thinks God will do, pick up his cross, and follow me. And I heard somebody say this one time. If anybody would come after Jesus, he must first deny his flesh, pick up his cross, which is a device meant to kill the flesh, and follow me. So he must deny his flesh, let God kill his flesh, and then follow Jesus. See, we are ruled by our flesh. And what Jesus wants us to do is to let him kill our flesh so that we'll be able to follow him unhindered. Now, that's a hard thing to understand, but I'm still trying to kind of grasp it. But Jesus, he was quick to call uh, Peter when he was, had this ungodly idea. He called him Satan. He said, get behind me, Satan. You're not talking in things that I understand. You're talking based on the ideas of Satan. Verse 14, Paul had said about these ungodly workers, he says, No wonder they transform themselves into apostles, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if he ministers also, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Here's the deal. People that think that they're apostles and are actually serving Satan are themselves deceived. They don't even know it. So when the guy comes up and he gets off his bicycle and he walks up your sidewalk and he wants to tell you about the, you know, yeah, I believe in Jesus too, but here's the Book of Mormon and I've got this further revelation. Um, We need to show mercy in some ways. Now, I personally, they're not coming in my house. I will talk to you on the porch. You can be sweaty in your suit while we're standing outside because I do not want them having any influence over my family. That's the, that's the line I've drawn in the sand. There are other people who have different ideas on that. You've got to pray through that yourself. But they need to hear the gospel, because they're deceived into thinking they're following the truth, and they're not. They have this other book, they add to scriptures, and then the scriptures, they even interpret them differently. But the idea is, is if you know the truth, the truth sets people free, they need to hear it too. So we have to be careful because some of me wants to go, they're done. They're coming to try to deceive people. The other part of me notes that I was deceiving people by following after my own version of Jesus too. So God's changed that in me. He can change that in them. Only he can do it. So Paul, here he is. He's addressed them. He's saying, I am an apostle. And then for the next, I don't know, for the last part of the chapter, verse 16 through 33, Paul's sufferings support his apostleship. Paul's boast is not in accolades, it's not in a title, it's not in how many people follow him, it's not in how comfortable he is, how rich he is, how many people he's got coming to his church. What Paul's boast is in is in his scars. He says they prove that they're apostles because they went to a certain school, because they're from a certain lineage, their pedigree. He, he says they call themselves apostles because they have these certificates hanging on the wall. He says, I'm an apostle, and you can know that because I bear the scars of what it takes, the cost of my being a disciple of Jesus. It's cost me. And in verse 22 for, through 33, which is the rest of the chapter, this contains Paul's foolish boasting about the things that prove him to be a true apostle. Now, if you look at this list, and we're going to read through it, you could see very easily how the Corinthians might even be a little embarrassed that the apostle that came to them doesn't have any credentials. His only credentials is that he's weak and he's got infirmities. How many of us want a leader that looks worn out, beat up, and frail, and he's not even a good speaker? 
You know, a couple years ago, I heard people saying about Bob Dole when he was running for president, like, we can't vote for Bob Dole. He might die while he's in presidency. Like, he, he's weak. He's got all these heart attacks. Like, he, he's had a stroke. Like, we don't need a leader that's that frail. And we don't look for a leader that's frail. We look for somebody that's got a strong stance, has a strong presence. You know, you could wrestle, arm wrestle anybody in the world and win. But what the Lord says is that, you know, here, here's my servant. And think about it. Describe Jesus in your mind. Think of some adjectives. He's a man of sorrows. That's what Jeremiah described him as. He's a man who sacrificed. He was a servant. Um, he, he was acquainted with grief. You know, he, by his wounds, he was our leader, and he was the first one to be killed. Wait a minute. How can you have a leader that's... Your, in, in every other thing in the world, if your leader's killed, you get a new one. But our leader, when he was killed, he became exalted. Now he sits at the right hand of the Father praying for you and I continually. He's not even done serving us yet. He's still doing it, even right now. He's praying for us that know him. He's praying for all those who will know him. And he's praying against all those that are our enemies. How crazy is that? So Paul reluctantly starts to boast. He says in verse 16, I say again, let no one think me a fool. If otherwise, at least receive me as a fool that I also may boast a little. He says, what I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were foolishly. In other words, God's servants don't brag about themselves. If anything, we brag about the Lord that we serve. If God does something in your life, brag about the Lord doing it. Don't ascribe the glory to yourself. That's where Satan got in trouble. He says, What I speak, I speak not according to the Lord, but as it were, I speak foolishly in this confidence of boasting. Seeing that many boast according to the flesh, so I also will boast. In Proverbs it says this, Answer a fool according to his folly. Someone speaks to you foolishly, answer them according to their folly. And so Paul's going to do that. They were boasting about themselves. He goes, okay, well, I can boast too. It's foolish for me to do it because God's grace has brought me this far, but I will boast about what God has done. He says, for you put up with fools gladly since you yourselves are wise. Again, sarcasm. You guys are so wise. Why are you putting up with these fools is what he's saying. He says, for you put up with it if one brings you into bondage, if one devours you, if one takes, takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face. And these false apostles were much like the, um, the leaders in the early church. Remember when Paul was brought in the book of Acts before um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin looked at Paul and because he said something to them and reviled them, they, they said, you know, if someone's a blasphemer, you know what we're going to do to him? We're going to slap him in the face. And so Paul says that. He says, he says, if one devours you, if one takes from you, if one exalts himself, if one strikes you on the face, to our shame, I say that we were too weak for that. <laughs> we were too weak to be bold like that. <laughs> we're apostles of the Lord. Sorry, we're too weak to hit you in the face. That's what he's saying. He's like, if I'm weak, if you want to think that I'm weak because I didn't smack you in the face, so be it. I'm weak by your own definition. But in whatever anyone is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. So then he goes on to describe his boast. He says, are they Hebrews that are speaking to you? He says, well, so am I. Are they Israelites? 
So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they ministers of Christ? Are they servants? He says, I speak as a fool, but I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. Stripes are when they would literally take a whip and they would whip someone who is disobedient. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. In other words, he was near death many times. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. The reason he says that is because the Jews had whipped Paul. They whipped him because he followed Jesus. But there was a a verse in um, Deuteronomy that talked about that you would give them a disobedient person, a blasphemer, 40 stripes. And you would take a whip and it was divided into four, kind of like a cat of nine tails, but it was a whip. It wouldn't shred your flesh, but it it would hurt. It would leave lines on your back. And they would whip them 40 times. Well, the, the leaders of that day said, okay, so that we don't transgress the law by giving too many, we'll do 39 just in case we miscounted so we don't overgo the amount. It wasn't for mercy. It was so they wouldn't get in trouble for doing more than 40. Very legalistic. He says there, three times I was beaten with rods. That's what the Gentiles would do. Once I was stoned, three times I was wrecked. Now, That does not mean that Paul did drugs. He was not stoned. It means that they threw rocks at him to kill him. And so he says, three times I was stoned. Um, Excuse me, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, sorry, one time. Three times I was shipwrecked. Now, when he was stoned in Lystra, they actually drug him out of the city when it was over with because they thought he was already dead. And then for whatever reason... He was able to get back up. Many people believe that he was dead and God brought him back to life. And there are also many who believe he wasn't really dead. And then the Lord gave him strength to stand back up. And you know what he did? He went back and started preaching again. Now, if that's anything, I don't know about you guys, but when I'm not really into something, if the Lord's not into it and he's not the one strengthening me, I'm not getting back up. I'm going, hey, I'm going to the next town. I'm shaking the dust off my feet. But Paul kept going. In journeys often, sorry, he says, I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day. I've been in the deep. So he was left overnight, a day and a night in the, in the deep. If you read the book of Acts, you see when that happened. It was off the shore of Malta as they were heading towards Rome. Verse 26, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. Perils, perils, perils. I don't know where people get this, that if you follow Jesus, your life will be easier. I don't know where that teaching comes from. They're not reading Paul. They're not reading any of the New Testament. They're not even reading about Jesus, who is our leader, who suffered more than anyone. He says there, in weariness, verse 27, in toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, he says, my deep concern for all the churches. It's like if you're sleeping and someone takes a big blanket, a heavy blanket, and lays it over you and smothers you with it. That's his burden for the church. Uh, The only commentary I read that could describe this strong word he used for his burden for the churches was kind of a smothering, agonizing pressure. 
Not that he had to do everything to make the church keep going, but his burden that they would continue to follow the Lord and bring glory to his name. He says, on top of all these things I've experienced, I have this daily burden. He says, I have this, this desire that people would be let free from the things that entangle them and dis- disrupt them from following the Lord. He says, I want to see him set free. But now, if you were reading the resume of Paul, Paul came to your church, said, hey, I want to be your pastor. And you're like, well, what are your qualifications? How do I know you serve the Lord? And he read this thing off. I think many of us, we read this and we know Paul, and so we're going, well, yeah, I'd love him to be my pastor. I mean, that guy, he knows what, he can relate with me. I've been through, not that stuff, but I've been through some rough stuff. He can actually relate with me. But what I would say to you is many of us would go, you know what? If he's really following the Lord, wouldn't the Lord protect him from all that stuff? And that's what these false apostles were saying. They're like, well, that's not really, I mean, even the Corinthians had believed what they were teaching. They're like, look, if you follow the Lord, he's going to bless you. You know, they go Joel Osteen on it. Your, your best life every day. It's going to be just a carnival. You know, God's going to bless you. People are going to carry you around on their shoulders. You're going to have all the material wealth you need. It's going to be great. I mean, people are going to want to be you. They're going to want you to be in their magazine. They want you to write books. And, but nobody was approaching Paul going, you know what? I'd like you to write a book on how to, I can be like you. No one was going to write that. Paul had suffered his entire life. That was, his, that was the reality. When Jesus met Paul on the way to Damascus, and then Paul was blinded, and when Paul was finally humbled, Jesus said to him, I want you to go into Damascus. I'm going to have someone lead you there. When you get there, I got this man by the name of Ananias. And through Ananias, I'm going to show you all the things you must suffer. <laughs> Thanks for that. That's my calling. I'm going to suffer. Yeah, but you're going to bear my name to the Gentiles, but it's going to cost you. There's a cost that comes along with the discipleship. And so Paul, he's not ashamed of that. So he says this, verse 29, Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble and I do not burn with indignation? He says, I'm, I'm indignant when people stumble my people. Verse 30, he says, If I'm going to boast, if I'm going to brag... I will boast of the things which concern my sickness, my infirmity. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that this testimony, I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison, meaning a big army. He was desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and I escaped from his hands. This was the, if you don't know the story, it's in the book of Acts. But basically, Paul went off to the desert for three years. He was taught by the Lord Jesus. He speaks about this in his other books. But what it says there is when Paul began his official ministry after that time with Jesus, the first thing he did is he went to the Jews. He went to this place. And while he was in there preaching the gospel, they wanted to arrest him. And Paul began his ministry by fleeing. He threw up the white flag. He escaped through a crack in the wall and men and women lowered him in a tiny basket so he could escape being arrested. And that was really uh, kind of the rest of his ministry. It, the only thing that was amazing about Paul's ministry was that it kept going despite all the things that it went wrong. And, and Paul is saying here, by listing all these things, he's not saying, I'm greater than everyone because I've suffered. What he's saying is, 
If anything was going to deter me, those things would have. And yet I continue to do what God's given me to do because it's by his grace I've been saved and I want other people to know. And nothing's going to stop me from that calling. I'm not going to stop. And that's the mark of a true apostle, that we continue to serve the Lord. We as disciples continue to do what he's called us to do, no matter the circumstances, no matter the hardship, we keep going. And the only way that anyone can keep going through all of that is if they trust someone that cannot be moved, if they're anchored to the Savior. And so let me ask you this morning, as we read all this, none of us measure up to this kind of testimony, but many of us want to be true disciples of Jesus. And let me tell you, in the day of adversity, like Paul, you will know whether you follow the Lord or whether you follow your flesh. And Paul was able to say, look, I'm unashamed. God has brought me this far, and I'm going to keep going. So let me ask you, what does it take to deter you from serving Jesus? For many of us, it's not that much. But in all reality, someone who follows Jesus versus someone who follows some other system will keep going because their hope is based upon what Romans chapter 5 says. Romans chapter 5. I didn't mark the page, sorry. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. In other words, we shine brighter when we experience tribulation, knowing that the tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character hope, and our hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. These weren't just words. This wasn't just spiritual talk. This is something Paul lived out. And so any true disciple of Jesus will be able to say the same thing. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the testimony of Paul We thank you for his willingness to continue to plant churches, to share the gospel even when it cost him his very health. We pray for the faith that it takes to do what you've called us to do. Each one of us has a different calling. Lord, we're we're not all the same, and that's for a reason. But we all have the same hope of Jesus living within us, procuring us for heaven, preparing us to enjoy you the most. And as, Lord, we have been saved by your grace, Your grace is going to bring us home. And so, Lord, we pray for the grace to survive and to continue on to do what you've called us to do, no matter what happens, no matter what suffering might happen. Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to shine brighter when we go through hard stuff. And only you can make us do that. Because if it's not with you, we're just going to quit. Uh, But, Lord, we don't want to quit. So, Father, we just give ourselves to you. We, We confess that we need you. This life of faith is not something we can do on our own, and we pray for the grace to continue on to bring glory to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.